0: Good to see you all this morning. You guys are all looking lovely and beautiful people. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, which I yeah, highly recommend, uh, if, you, if you don't have one and need one, Bibles here at the church uh, that we'd love to, to get to you. But if you have your Bible with you this morning, I would invite you to turn to the first book of the Bible, uh, book of Genesis, chapter 12, uh, Genesis 12 <clears throat> is where we're going to be here in just a little bit. So we're in our third week of a series called Scripture. Uh, Scripture, just another name for for the Bible. It's actually how the Bible refers to itself. Um, It's The Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures. And our series is called Scripture, God's Epic Story. And so our hope over this six-part series, which we're in week three of, is just to, to come to have a better understanding of the big narrative, the big overarching story that the Bible tells. Um, it's the, part of the, the conviction that the Bible is one unified story that leads us to Jesus. It leads us to, to put our trust in Jesus, to find life in him, in a relationship with him. That the Bible, the scriptures are in some ways, they're God's word in print, but the purpose is to lead us to God's word in person. That's how John talks about Jesus is that he is the word of God, the spoken word of God made flesh, made human, who came among us. And so <clears throat> my hope is, is that like this, this is helpful for us um, so that as we interact with the scriptures, as we read the scriptures, meditate on the scriptures, um, that we have a better, better sort of understanding of just the, where we find ourselves in God's story, that it it becomes really, really meaningful and inspiring for us. Because here's the thing, everybody, every person on the planet, every one of us has a story that guides our lives. Do you believe that? Everybody has some way of making meaning of the world, but part of the reality is most of us aren't aware of the story that's guiding us. Everybody has one, but very seldom do we actually stop and analyze it and say, like, what, what do I think the world is like? And what, what do I think the meaning of all of it is? And where is the whole thing going? We all have a story, and everybody around us has a story as well. And that story, it guides us. Here's uh, two quotes. One is from Leslie Newbegin, a famous missiologist, um, of of the last century, and here's what he says: the way that we understand human life depends on what conception we have of the human story. What is the real story of which my life is a part? Have you ever? I mean, that's a big existential question, isn't it? Like, what is the big story that my life is is a part of? Um, because it's going to impact the way we make decisions. And then, secondly, um, Alistair McIntyre says this. I can only answer the question, what am I to do? Like, what am I to do in any given situation or in life if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself a part? Now, this, this is such an important thing because there is more than one story that is competing for our attention and our allegiance, Right? There are other narratives, there are false stories and false narratives that, that really want us to, to own you know to own them and to live into them. Um, there is a secular story that uh, we' are all like it's, it's it's being broadcast to us in so many different ways through movies we take in and through books and, and, and just other people we're interacting with. And, and if you're going to define like the secular story, here's the, the story of our world, our modern world, uh, outside of Scripture. And this, this would be one way to think about it. Lots of people think that, hey, in the beginning... Human beings are born innocent. Every human child is born um, happy and whole, right? That's, that's a human being as they come into the world that, that our inner child or our inner self is just fundamentally good. And so um, there's a problem, We know that the world is is messed up. Everybody knows this, whether they're a person of faith or not. And so the problem is this. The problem, again, this is not what I believe. This is like the secular narrative. The problem is that families, bad experiences, binding commitments, you know, things that are, are required of us in life, externally given identities, culture, tradition, religious restrictions, those things that are outside of us, they make us unhappy. They press down on us and they kind of like restrict us and, and they make us unhappy and they give us low self-esteem. So human, a human child comes in the world happy, whole, free, and then over time, the, all of these external restrictions make them unhappy. And so the solution is we have to escape those binding commitments. you got to escape your family commitments. you got to escape your cultural commitments and your faith commitments, your vocational commitments. you got to just, like, escape all those things and those externally given identities, all the traditions that have been handed down to you. Get rid of all of that because it wants to control you, and the purpose is discover your true inner voice. Discover that true inner you that, that's in there And when you do, that inner voice, that inner self, it is good and it will guide you. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I mean, right, this is like every movie we watch tells us it's your inner self. Like that is the voice to pay attention to. That's the solution. And so the good life, according to this cultural narrative, is this. is that through finding some missing element, like a soulmate or a meaningful career, or enjoyable experiences, material possessions, through exercising our self-expression, our lives can be filled with pleasure and meaning for as long as we live. That's a secular narrative. How does that feel to you? Does that feel true to you? Born good, external commitments weigh us down, free yourself from that, and have as many good experiences, pleasurable things, accumulate as much as you can, and that's how you have a good life. That is the, the story that so many people find themselves in. And it's a story that if we're not aware of it, we will, just, we will get caught up in it. We'll get caught up in it. What's the answer to unhappiness in our lives according to this story? You feel, maybe you don't, I I just wish life was better, I wish it was more full. You know, I look around at other people and and their life seems to be like better than mine and they have more joy than I do. So what's the answer? The answer is freedom, personal freedom. I just need to like break free of all of these other things so that I can really be myself. Um, The answer is self-expression. I just need freedom to express myself. Um, and, And the answer is consumption. I just need a little bit more. Anybody ever believe that lie? If it's like you got that thing in your shopping cart on Amazon and you really, you really believe that like if you get it and you get it like today, isn't that like magic, right? You could just push a button and it might be on your front porch in a magic little brown box like within 24 hours. Craziness. And um, I don't know if you guys ever saw that commercial a couple years ago that Amazon is um, starting yesterday shipping it was, I think it was an SNL sketch. It was hilarious. It's like you order it and you actually had it yesterday. It's amazing. Um, so these are the answers to unhappiness, freedom, self-expression, and consumption. How's it working? How, how, how are these answers to, the, to just like the problems of life? How is it working for us? Uh, because we are people who have more personal freedoms than any group of people at any time in human history ever. Right? Ever. More personal freedoms. We have more platforms. You have more platforms available to you to express yourself than anybody could have ever imagined. At any moment, you can tell the world what you're thinking and feeling and, and people will respond to that. You just express yourself in so many ways. We have more goods and services and experiences available to us at our fingertips than anyone in any previous generation could have ever imagined. And we are the happiest people who have ever lived at any time in human history. Right? No? Like, why not? Because we have all of these things that the cultural script says, get these because these will fulfill you. And yet, we are getting, as society, we are getting more and more depressed. Every decade, right, depression levels are going higher and higher and beginning younger and younger. And, And the question is, like, how far do we have to get down this road until we realize that it does not go a place that is healthy for us? That is helpful. It is not the way we were meant to live. That personal freedom and self-expression and consumption, they will just leave us empty. And there must be a better story. I mean, there must be a true story. A story that actually is real and that can guide us. And the good news is, that's what we're talking about. There is a true story. And so this true story is different than the cultural story. Um... Just, just a, little bit of, a little bit of review, right? Um, this true story, it begins, Genesis 1 and 2, begins with a very good God. God is at the center of it. We are not. And the story is about God who is king and he creates a kingdom. And the kingdom God creates, Genesis 1 and 2, is, is full of abundance and it's a kingdom of flourishing where um, everything that exists is just the overflow of this God who is good, And so people are made in the image of this good king and this good God. And and people, human beings, made in God's image are given authority to take care of creation and freedom um, to choose to love God or not. So that's how the story begins. That's how the true story begins. Genesis 1 and 2. That's part 1. Last week we covered part 2. Here's the, the, The problem is that there was a rebellion in the kingdom. And the rebellion goes on. And the the problem is human beings who were created in God's image and given this authority, they were actually deceived by the evil one, deceived by the adversary, the accuser, the enemy, the Satan. And, And human beings used their freedom, we used our freedom to rebel against God as king. And instead, we put ourselves at the center and we wanted to be in charge, wanted to to be able to decide for ourselves what is good and what is not, what is evil. And that act that human beings engage in, that act of turning our backs on God as king and and rebelling against him, it, it like opened the floodgates of evil into God's good world and just made this massive mess of things. And that's the world we find ourselves in. Um, that everything has been affected by this, this human rebellion. Our relationship with God is, is messed up. Um, we, we, we have fear, we have insecurities in, when it comes to our relationship with God. In fact, throughout the rest of the scriptures, what happens when God shows up? It's like when God is revealed in glory, people, terror, fear. You see this again and again. The first response to the human heart when this good, pure, holy God is in our midst is is terror, is fear. And and what does God have to say to us? The The most prominent command in scriptures, do you know what it is? Three words. Don't be afraid. Do you know that's what God has to say to us more than anything else? If you want to know what heaven has to say to you today, just don't be afraid again it is the most important command given in scriptures because there is fear in the human heart our relationship with our creator is disconnected um, it messed up our own hearts are corrupted by the battle between good and evil going on inside of us anybody feel that? It's like, man, I know, the, this is what the Apostle Paul says later in Romans, he's like, I, th- there's good to do, and I really want to do that, but there's this other part of me that is like rebellious, and the good things I want to do, I, I don't end up doing those things, and the things that I know that I shouldn't do, those are the things that I end up doing. Does anybody else feel that struggle inside of them? That the, this battle between good and evil, it actually exists inside of every single one of us, that our hearts have this battle going on, that human nature is messed up, and then creation as a whole is messed up. Um, that now there's, even in, in the created world, things don't work the way God intends them to work. So that's the story. That's, that's God's intention, part one. Part two, there's a rebellion that makes a mess of things. And, and today, um, we're going to talk just, just a little bit about the solution. Like, how does God respond to this problem? How does God want to solve it? And, and it's good news because God doesn't give up. Like, God doesn't just, like, turn his back on creation. He doesn't just, like, you know, wash his hands of it and scrap the whole thing. But God is, is a relentlessly good God who still wants to partner with his people, who doesn't give up on people his image bearers, and who, who sets about now to heal everything that human sin has damaged. That's, that's the story. How are we doing? That's how it takes shape. Okay, so let's look. Genesis chapter 12 Verses 1 to 3. How is God going to respond to these human beings who have made an absolute mess of the world? Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 to 3. I'll tell you what. You guys have been so quiet. Let's, let's read this together, would you? Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said, sorry, uh, let me start that over again. I missed the word had in there. Ready? The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So this is, this is how the story takes shape, is how God responds to just like the, the mess of the world, the corruption in the human heart, uh, creation itself, having this, this damage and in some ways bondage to decay and death and all of that, is he, he chooses a couple. He chooses this one elderly couple Abram, and we'll just call him Abraham and Sarah, because God changes their names a few chapters later. So he chooses this one couple. Uh, they're 75 years old and they have no children. Um, and he, he says to them, he's like, I'm going to start this healing work of solving the problem through you. Chooses a very unlikely couple. Isn't that interesting? 75 years old. Now, again, there's, there's kind of this cultural narrative that says, like, hey, in with the in with the new, out with the old. Um, and there's, there's kind of this idea that, like, hey, younger is better, and you know, the, the upgraded version and the shinier things are better. And, and we kind of like disadvantage the older. It's just not the way God works, right? He chooses this couple that's 75 years old. Now, I, have a, I had a mentor um, in Kansas, somebody who is several decades older than me. And uh, his, his favorite phrase was if you ain't dead, you ain't done. I love that. I think, I think that's fantastic. It's uh, Abraham and Sarah, right? 75 years old. God says, hey, I got an adventure for you. Go! Like, leave. Leave um, the way that you think the world works. Leave behind the cultural systems you've been a part of. Leave these narratives that have formed you and go because I want to do something special and healing for the rest of the world through you. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. That's a, that's a great motto to live by. Um, And and so Abraham and Sarah, they have this calling on their life. And and the way that God responds, the strategy that God goes about to set everything right is he creates a people. The king creates a people. Now, he had already created people, human beings, in the beginning, but now he's creating a people, like a a, a new kind of people, a people group. And he says he's going to do it through Abraham and Sarah and their descendants, and he begins, and he says, okay, go. Um, you're going to have to leave some things behind. There's a cultural script you've been given, and you can't live that way anymore. You've got to leave it behind. Now, Abraham and Sarah, their cultural script was different than ours. Uh, they grew up in a world where um, they believed that history was just on a big cycle, right? It wasn't actually going somewhere. It was just cyclical. That's the worldview Abraham and Sarah would have grown up in. They would have grown up in a world that said every territory has their own God. Like you have a a God of this territory and a God of that territory. And so gods are kind of like these localized deities. And sometimes when territories go to war with each other, it's actually the gods sort of battling it out. And if you're going to ask Abraham and Sarah, like, what what are gods like? Well, gods would have looked a lot like human beings. They would have looked like angry and vengeful and lustful and all of the junk that's in the human heart. They just projected on, that's, that's what the gods are like. Those are, that's the worldview, Abraham and Sarah, and everybody else would have lived in. And God, the one true God, the God of the Bible, he calls Abraham and Sarah and says, you're going to have to leave some things behind. You're, I'm going to have to give you a different story, and you're going to have to relearn some things. Because you're going to have to, if you're going to be a healing presence in the world, you're going to have to be unique. You, you can't live by the same story everybody else does. God makes a couple promises to Abraham and Sarah. Um, he says this, this promise of blessing. Um, he says to them, I will make you into a great people. Now, when you read that word make, it should, words in the Bible, and I, I, wish, I wish like our Bibles were like this, You know what a hyperlink is? It's like, it should be highlighted blue, and I wish we could just do that, to just like, this word make, that it was a hyperlink, and if you could push it, it would take you back to Genesis one. Because on page one of the Bible, seven times, God made, God made, God made. He made the the land, and the sky, and the sea, and like, whatever. And now, what is God making? A new people group. He's making this, this family of blessing. Um, God is making something new. It's like a new beginning. This is like the story gets this new start. I'm going to make you into this people group. Um, it's going to be a people group like, like no other. God didn't choose an already existing people group. He's like, i got to make something brand new. And this people group that God intends isn't bound by ethnicity, and culture, and common language, and location, and local politics, it's not marked. The people group that God says is going to bless the world is not marked by any of the other things we typically think about people groups being formed by. It is being formed out of God's initiative. I will make it, God says. It's going to be this people group is going to be in covenant with their creator. That's the thing that's going to set them apart, is in covenant with their creator. Um, that God calls Abraham and Sarah into relationship with himself. If you're going to define covenant, we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. What do you, what would you say a covenant is? Those of you here on Wednesday night, don't cheat. What's a covenant? An agreement. Okay, Yeah. That's that's a, a good good definition. Agreement. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes we th- when we hear the word covenant we think contract. And and a contract is a deal. Let's let's make a deal and I have my side of the deal and you have your side of the deal and let's have a contract so we're both clear and the contract is going to be it's going to protect us. So that if you if you back out of your end of the contract then I am free you know and I. Not liable for that. So the contract is kind of self-preservation. We, we have contracts all the time. But a covenant isn't a contract. A deal isn't at the center of it. An, right? What's at the center of a covenant is love. Relationship. Right? We think about marriage. You know, you have um, a, a man and a woman, bride and groom. Who's the most recently married couple? In this room. Morgan and Lily? Yeah. We'll pick on you guys for a little bit. How long have you guys been married? Six months. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, you stood in, I don't, did you get married here? Somewhere else? Okay. Okay. Down in West Liberty. Okay. So you stood in front of your family and friends, a congregation, you stood before God, there's a pastor there who led you in some vows, and you... You, what brought Morgan and Lily to that place was not a deal. Hey, let's make a deal. Life is going to be better, you know, together. It, it was love, right? The love brought them together. But then it brought them to the place where they made these vows to each other, right? And and Morgan and Lily, just like every other young couple, didn't have a sweet clue what they were saying to each other, right, when they were I'm just, I'm just uh, we, like, I think back, Carmen and I had been married 20 years, and we were just like, you know, we loved each other, and we just couldn't wait to share life together, and we're just like, just tell us what to say, we'll say it, right? You know, it's just, and you're making these pledges to say, oh, I'll be faithful to you alone as long as you both shall live in sickness and in hell. I mean, whatever those, those, those words are, you're making these, these vows, these commitments to each other. But it's not the deal. A marriage is not a deal, it's a covenant. It's a relationship, it is this deeply bonded relationship and it's not for the sake of, like, you know, signing a prenuptial agreement or a contract to protect ourselves. It is saying, I am choosing to love you with my whole self. I'm giving myself away to you it is other-centered, and I'm trusting that the other person is doing the same to me. I'm giving myself back. That's a covenant. It is love, a relationship, and then it's formalized through, through the, the vows and the commitments. Does that make sense? And that's what God does with Abraham and Sarah. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm calling you into a relationship with me. Um, God tells them, like, I, I will bless you and I, you'll be in a relationship with me and out of that relationship, you will have life and flourishing and abundance and you'll, you'll live life the way it was meant to be lived. And so God promises them that in that covenant of blessing, that relationship, um, they will experience a different kind of life than they would outside of that relationship. But... He says this, the blessing isn't just for you, it's for everybody else. That God calls his people, he calls us into this covenant of blessing. Uh, next slide. And, and he says, um, yeah, maybe next slide. I'm gonna skip a couple there. That the blessing is actually for, for everybody else. I will, I will bless you um, and you will be a blessing. And in the end, all people on earth will be blessed through you. So he chooses Abraham and Sarah, calls them into a covenant, and says, this is the way I'm going to bless everybody. This is the way the world gets healed. This is the way everything turns around. This is how God chooses. He partners with people. God could have just done it by himself, right? He could have just like all of a sudden taken sin out of the human heart. He could have healed the rebellion in the human heart. But get this, God is so relational and so good that he calls people to partner with him, Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to teach you how to live. I'm going to teach you how to live in covenant with me. I'm going to bless you, pour my blessings on you, and then you are in turn going to turn around and bless everybody else. And when people interact with you, they're going to be led back into relationship with their creator as well. And that's how the world gets healed. That's what God chooses to do. That's what's happening in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Are you with me? Now, the rest of the Old Testament is just how well are people doing at staying in covenant with God. That's it. Genesis 12.3, it sets the, the sort of the, the direction things are going, and you can read the rest of the Old Testament by saying, how's it going? How well are they doing at staying in covenant with God? Uh, one, of, one of my favorite things um, C.S. Lewis says is most people think that God wants them to be good. And that's where we go off track right from the beginning. How many of you think, like you know what, I'm going to go to church today and I'm going to hear a pastor and he's going to tell me I should be good. I should be better. I mean, we've heard a lot of sermons about, hey, be, be good. Be better. And C.S. Lewis says that's where we go right off track from the very beginning. Because we think God's intention is for us to be good. What are you talking about? Do you know what God's intention is? is for us to be his, is to belong to him, to be in relationship with him. Because when we think that it's God's intention for, for us to be good, it kind of makes us miserable because we start like, we start trying to like deny, like you know, self-denial and we push all that stuff down and we, we try to like so hard to overcome our, our sin through willpower and it kind of makes us miserable. Because like, it's like when you're on a diet, and then you go to that party, and everybody's having cake, and you're just kind of like, look at all these people who don't care about their health at all. They're just eating sugar and pop and all this stuff. Like, nobody cares about themselves the way I care. What does it do when, like, I feel like my job is to be good? It makes me judgmental of other people and kind of critical, and it kind of makes me miserable. And then when I'm doing really well, I think, like, why aren't these people noticing how good I'm being? I mean, if people really knew, like, how good I... Anybody else feel this? And this is what C.S. Lewis says. We, we go right off track from the beginning. God doesn't want us to be good. He wants us to be his, to belong to him. This wholesale surrender of ourselves in relationship with him, and then what does God do? It's he remakes us then from the inside out. Are you with me? The, the, the goal is the same. We become a different kind of people, but the route we get there, one will get us there and one won't. It will only ever get there by actually just surrendering so the rest of the old testament in five minutes how about that the rest of the old testament in five minutes how well are people doing at this this covenant um not so good it it turns out it turns out that this corruption of sin on the human heart it is deeper than than anybody realizes I mean, it's just there's something so corrosive about sin on the human heart that people, they just couldn't stay in relationship with God. And they they kept breaking covenant. And so um, the Old Testament, you could actually look at it like a case study for what doesn't work to change the human heart. What do we typically think about? Let's say there's a change in your life where you really want to change. These are the things we tell ourselves. You know what my problem is? My problem is I just need better rules, if I, if I had better, uh, skip to slide 23. Um, I, if I just had better rules, I, I could change. I just need a more, I need a structure. I need a better diet plan. And if I could just like stick on that, and if I just had, you know, things that were, were off limits for me, if I had better rules, then I could change. How many of you have told yourself that? The problem is the rules. So what does God do? God gives them the law. He gives them very clear rules. He gives them commandments, and, and he spells these rules out, and then what happens when we have the rules in place? All of a sudden, that rebellious nature in our heart, it's just like, is this anybody? <laughs> I see your rules, and I don't care about them, right? We'll keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules, until all of a sudden we don't, and then the rules can't actually change the human heart. And yet, God, he, he does it. He gives us laws. He gives us commands. But the commands can't. They don't change us because our, they don't take away that rebellious nature of the heart. And then an, another thing we tell ourselves is, well, my problem is my environment. It's, it's, it's the people I'm with. If I could just get away from those people, the people I work with, the people I live with, the people in my neighborhood, if I had more space, and if, it, if I was just like on my own and in a different environment, then I would be better. Have we told ourselves this before? Right, my problem is out there with all those people. Now granted, like influences can be a problem and, and whatever, but um, it's not true. Like God gives them land. He's like, okay, I'll give you this promised land and it's a land flowing with milk and honey and blessing and abundance. And they get into the land and they realize the uh, problem's still here. The problem actually wasn't in our environment, it was inside of us. So God gives them land, and the land doesn't change their, their hearts. And, and so they tell themselves, you know what we need? We need better leadership. The problem is, our, is lack of leadership. And if we just had better, stronger leaders, then we would change. So God, give us a king. That's what they, that's what they tell God. Give us a king. We need somebody who's a strong leader who's going to, you know, sort of tell us the direction to go. And so God gives them kings. He says, you're not going to like what happens. They get kings, and what do they find? The kings are just as messed up as they are. They've just empowered some broken human being. Anybody ever have a leader that they looked up to that failed them? Yeah, like we all have. It's because we all, like, if we look to human leaders to to change us, it it just is not going to end well because... Every leader we look up to, it, it, they're just broken people as well. We're all on a journey. So we tell ourselves the, these things. And the last thing we tell ourselves is you know what? My problem is I need stronger accountability. I just need somebody who will kind of like get in my face. And, and every time I, I, I sort of step off the, the path, they'll like, you know, get me back on, on track. And, and accountability is wonderful. Loving, grace filled accountability, we need it. But accountability itself, it can't change us. And so God gives them prophets. He gives them prophets, a loving accountability to come alongside of them, to call them back into covenant with God whenever they get off track. And they kill the prophets. They try to silence the prophets. And so the Old Testament, you can look at it as like this case study of what does not work to change the human heart. All of these outside-in approaches, they just can't fix the problems within us. And so you get to the end of the Old Testament and you're just like, so what's going to, like, what's the solution? It it should lead us to desperation as you read the Old Testament. I mean, it should, like, in our own lives, too, like, just the struggle to actually, God, what is going to change me? Leads us to this place of openness and desperation to say, God, what is it that we really need? And thankfully, the Old Testament gives us an answer. I want to read three just brief texts for you uh, from from Jeremiah. 31, Ezekiel 11, and Ezekiel 36, because this is how the Old Testament ends. It it ends with this promise of change actually coming, and here's what God says. Through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. That's Abraham and Sarah's descendants. And it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant again and again and again. They broke the relationship, though I was like a husband to them. Do you hear that covenant language? I made vows to them, declares the Lord. But this covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord, and I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people this is like this is covenant language I will be their God they will be my people no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more From Ezekiel chapter 11, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and he speaks out of the people's desperation that says, like, I'm never gonna change. God speaks through Ezekiel and he says, I will give these people an undivided heart and I'll put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Do you hear that? It's not just like they're going to try real hard to be good. It's they're going to be mine. They're going to belong to me. And finally, Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on them. It's a symbol of cleansing. This is what priests would do to the people, like sprinkle clean water on them, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you. I'll put my spirit in you. And I, from inside of you, will move you to follow my decrees and to keep my laws. And you will be my people, and I will be your God. This is what God promises. Do you, want the, do you know what we really need? What we need more than anything else? Is one, we need forgiveness. Like we need true forgiveness. Forgiveness and cleansing for the rebellion in our human hearts. And this is what God promises. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. I mean, how, that is such good news. Right? That the, the guilt and the shame of the things that we've done and the ways that we've gone off course in our lives. that God says, I'll just forgive it and I won't even remember it anymore. It's like I will just cleanse it all. And there'll be a brand new beginning, a brand new start. This is the promise of God. Like we, we receive this forgiveness. I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean and I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and I'll just like cleanse all those, those idols and impurities from, from your heart. We need this. This is what we need. It's forgiveness. And this is what God offers, us to, offers to us. What we really need, according to the prophets here, is we need the presence of God filling our lives. Like we need someone from outside of us to come into our lives and and to fill us and we need his spirit inside of us that can actually change us and move us. Not these outside-in changes, not tinkering with our environments, but an actual just like change from the inside out. And this is what God promises us to us, promises to us, right? His presence within us. And what we need is a heart transplant. I mean, this is what we need. Take, I will take your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will give you my heart, God says. I had an uncle who had a heart transplant. I don't know if anybody, anybody have any relatives that had a heart transplant? I an uncle had a heart transplant. Like, his heart was just, <clears throat> it just, obviously, desperate, was not working. And <clears throat> he was on the transplant list for quite a while, a couple of years, and um, it, f- miraculous, when uh, it's miraculous that so that's even possible, like in physical bodies like that. Um, but yeah, just this amazing reality that he was able to have this new heart, this different heart put into his body. And now he's like, he's healthy and, and strong. And like, you, you look at him and he's like, he looks like a different person. But it's also tragic because that's somebody else's heart. And there's only one way to get that heart, right? Is because that person, their life had to end. Like they, they died, and their heart is now giving life to, to my uncle David. And so there's there's like this tragedy and celebration in that. And it in some ways <clears throat> it's very similar to what Jesus does for us. Like that the Jesus actually, he died. He entered into all of the brokenness, all of the pain, all of the sin, all of the ugliness of this world, and he took all the penalty for it. He took all of the sin, all the guilt, all the shame onto himself, and and through his death and through his resurrection, he offers us forgiveness, and he offers us cleansing, and he offers us wholeness that we could never get on our own. And he offers us his own spirit, his own presence to actually be in us and to fill us and to renew us from the inside out. And he promises that when we surrender our lives to him, he actually gives us a heart transplant. That more and more we feel the way Jesus feels. We see the world the way Jesus sees the world. And as we surrender our lives to him, that he actually turns us into people of blessing in the world. That he turns us into people who, who when we interact with our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors and the the people around us, who who maybe are living in desperation. Like the story I'm a part of, it doesn't work anymore. The things that I've tried to change my life, they don't work anymore. Maybe there are no answers. And then he sends you. And he sends a community like LifeBridge. Right here. Right here in our place. As ordinary as we are. And he says, I'm going to bless you and you are going to be a blessing to the world and people are going to come to know me because of you. This is, this is God's plan. This is what he does. So I don't know um, what part of this resonates with you today. I don't know. <clears throat> like like maybe, maybe you're just kind of in the struggle of trying to be good. And maybe the invitation of Jesus today is, to say, would you just stop trying to be good? Would you just stop trying to be good and would you just be mine? Would you just like wholesale surrender your heart to me and belong to me and be in this covenant with me and trust that I will remake you from the inside out? Like maybe, um, maybe there's a, <clears throat> a moment of surrender where it's just like, I, yeah, there, my heart doesn't fully belong to Jesus. And and it's just this this openness of, Jesus, like I, I, I need you, and, and there's a, a, surrender, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundred and first time that, that you need today. I let's just let's just take a moment and just listen to what the Spirit is, speaking to your heart. We'll have the the worship team come and we'll sing uh, sing a couple more songs. So God, um, we know that you're here. We know that you love us. We know that you've revealed yourself to us through Scripture. And ultimately, you revealed yourself to us through the person of Jesus. And so, God, we want to encounter you today, to be encountered by you. And so you know, God, if there are any places in our heart, like where our heart is just kind of stone, maybe um, just kind of calloused over because of hurts, and it's hard to open up to love because of the pain that we've had. And so, God, there's just kind of Bitterness and cynicism and just this darkening of our hearts. Jesus, would you just reach with your hand of compassion and love? And would you heal that place? Would you just heal the wounds that are there? So that we can receive the goodness of life with you and your love? God, for, for any of us who, who are just living in rebellion, who are doing our very best to run away from you, and, and we're trying so hard to just get away and um, to do our own thing and to run our own lives, and you just won't let us go. You just pursue us, and every time we turn around, it's like you're right there. Would we just stop running today and surrender to you? God, for each and every one of us, just flood into our lives again today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, with your presence again today. Reveal to us the joy of being in covenant with you. Fill our hearts with overflowing love and goodness and and just your mercy for us. And God, would you send us out into the world, like in whatever way that looks like, the places we live, the places we work, where we go to just play and hang out. God, would you send us into those places get to be a blessing, and that through us, through our lives, people will come to know you. God, this is what we want more than anything else. So we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our King. Everybody said.